Today is Sunday, uh, January 21st, 2024, and if you heard the news at 6 o'clock, the, uh, the newscaster made a mistake. She had today as uh, Yudalad uh, Shvat, which would mean that Tuba Shvat is tomorrow, and I'm driving and going, I, I think it's Thursday. Turned out uh, I was right and she was wrong, but Kachidaka Shokhayim. All right, unfortunately, we have to begin. Unfortunately, I was correct. I'm not happy to be uh, correct so many times. But if you recall my talk about the hostages, a number of it's a few months already, so I said uh, logically, halachically, hashkafically, uh, the trick is not to say a word about the hostages and uh, let the Arabs say, we're not going to destroy the state to redeem them. But I told you it's not going to work because most of the people who have relatives their attitude is, I don't want to spell it out, but do anything and everything to save their lives. And you can't blame them. It's their brother, it's their sister, it's their spouse, it's their parent. But I do blame them. And what we see now is exactly the worst nightmare. And what you're doing is sending a message to the world, uh, destroy the state of Israel, release the hostages. And it's a very, very terrible moment. I gave Shurman this many, many years ago. I published on this in tradition. It's republished in Rakafedar. And by the way, uh, Shai, if you don't have Rakafedar, I can give you the Chelek Aleph. Chelek Pet was just republished in the Chelek Dalit after class. <coughs> it's very sad and uh, it takes our sleep away, let alone uh, we have so many grandchildren and some of you have children. Uh, far from here right now. Okay, I want to dedicate today's Shia in memory of Rabbi Zvulun Chalap. I'd like to say a few words about him. Uh, his life spanned a hundred years of yeshiva history. When I was growing up in the Bronx, there were two famous rabbis, Rabbi Reichman and Rabbi Chalap. They both had shoes. The Bronx had over 700,000 Jews. If they have, uh, if a hundred thousand descendants of theirs are still Jews, it's a miracle, but that's a different story. Um, they were both Rabbonim and Big Shuls. Rabbi Reichman was a product of Europe, came to America after studying the Mir Slabotka, and then studied in YU when the Mechatili came, what's YU today, Hasmicha from the yeshiva. Rabbi Chalap came, and he already was a product of Yerushalayim. You know who his father was, the right hand of Rav Cook, Avram Yitzchak HaKoyim Cook, Seichat Levracha. And uh, they met. Uh, everyone, there was only one show in town at the time, and that was Yeshiva Shabbat Chanan. The Mechita was there. Rabbi Reva was there. Uh, I saw someone wrote that Rabbi Meshach Halavechik was there. There's only one problem in 19, 
Rabbi Reichman got smicha, I believe it was 24, and Reb Meisha came to America. His first year in YU was December 31st. Look it up in Revel. Look it up in my work on the Rav. But I believe it was December 31st, 1929. So I don't believe he was there in 23 or 24. And uh, they teamed up together. They gave hashgacha. When the OU began hashgacha, and we're going back approximately 100 years... Yeah, I'm talking about Rabbi Solomon Reichman and Rabbi Chil Michal Chalap, Zvulun's father, the son of Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Chalap. And they gave Hashkacher, and when the Yodu began, they were the first real Rabbonim Machshirim of the Yodu. At a certain point, they went off on their own, and what's fascinating, many years later, uh, in order to have a, any firm that was big and needed a proper heksha, you couldn't go with an individual rabbi anymore. The OU succeeded so that uh, ultimately e- even Rabbi Zvulin Chalap, who inherited his father's heksha on uh, Pepsi-Cola, had to give the heksha over to uh, the Chafkei. Uh, it's the uh, Reb Moshe Salavechik is another example on strikes. Even the Salavechik name wasn't enough, and he gave the Hechsher over to the Chafkei. And the, the OU, the Chafkei, Rebbein Salavechik, no, no, his Hechsher wasn't, he got away with the one-man Hechsher. But his son, Reb Moshe, he ultimately had to bring in the Chafkei because people would not be Samach on an individual Hechsher. Uh, this was the family, this was where Rabbi Zvulin came from. Uh, what's interesting is both Rabbis Reichman and Rabbi Chalap, and they were like twins, you have to understand. When I grew up, when you said Reichman, you said Reichman and Chalap. When you said Chalap, you said Chalap and Reichman. Uh, they were like twins. And uh, their sons all studied at YU. Uh, Rabbi Reichman had two sons. One was born challenged and he arranged, he later lived around the corner from me in Israel. Uh, he lived, he was able to function to a certain degree, like the OU today, uh, Yachad. And I give credit, the family took care of him. The older brother, Reb Raphael, who, when I came into the yeshiva in 51, he was one of the shining lights. Uh, there was uh, uh, the babe, the babe was from Baron Lichtenstein, the Gersh was Gersh and Sadowski, who Loa Lenu, they're still in the midst of Shiva for him. These were giants. And Rafal Reichman. So Rafal Reichman winds up in Israel, heads up a colon, Meir Sharim. Uh, no one would ever dream that he went to YU. Uh, Rabbi Chalap uh, sent his son Zvulin YU. Zvulin was one of a kind. Uh, and I'll explain to you what I, what I mean by that. I happen to know Zvulim, but not just I know him. My wife grew up in a shul in Israel of Mashalu Parkway. Uh, first of all, this is the best that why you can produce. The Edel kite, the Erin's kite, the Frum kite. Was, he was legitimate, I'll use that word, 100%. Talmud uh, Chacham. 
And his dreams, no one knows this, his dream was becoming a professor of American Jewish history. You know, are anyone aware of that? He had a degree, a master's. He was already started for a doctorate, but uh, he went to the young Israel when it was a thriving shul, and he gave his life for the young Israel. There were articles uh, in the New York Times, other papers, Jewish newspapers, um, in the 70s. Young Israel went, the Bronx changed in my time already when uh, Howard Jonas came to class a few weeks ago. So he told me afterwards he grew up in Southern Boulevard. We were both shaking. In my time, in the 50s, you couldn't walk near Southern Boulevard by, by night for sure and even by day. So the whole Bronx went under and ultimately it reached Marshallu Parkway. He, he, his dedication to the shul was beyond words. He had a life contract, and it turned in, I would say, a life of servitude. He didn't get a salary the last 10, 20 years as rabbi of the shul. There was no, no way to pay him. But he kept the minion going, and he brought people. One, Yomo would walk there, Shabbos from Washington Heights, and you know, Yomo, when he walks someplace, he doesn't plot it out before. He winds up in Riverdale, and in Riverdale they redirected him to, uh, to Rabbi Willick redirected him to the young Israel to keep. Okay, but you were the tenth, or there was a minion with that? I was, I was the tenth. He was the tenth. So, and this is Rabbi Chalap. We pleaded with him when his his wife was at Sipkana. She was from Philadelphia. And, and we pleaded with him when she died, come in Aliyah, you can re-sprout here. No, he was dedicated to the shul. But now I want to talk about him as a human being and why he succeeded. You see, to be dean of students, it's a very delicate uh, calling. And uh, Rabbi Chalap had one advantage that enabled him to succeed so graciously. And Alex, it's very simple. After, with 64 years of teaching under my belt, believe me, I understand very well what I'm about to say. You see, Rakefet, I've gotten compliments in my Monday class. I did the history of Torah in the United States. So uh, everyone said, wow, you're able to deal with Lubavitch, with Chaim Berlin, with Satma, so honestly, so objectively. But notice, no one in their right mind would suspect that I'm a Satma, a Lubavitch, a Chaim Berlin boy. I dealt with it. An outsider looking in, Reb Zvulin, when he spoke, he could give a sheer, you'd think, wow, this is a Litvisha first-rate Talmud Chacham. Then he could present a paper dealing with some of the problems Chovevei Torah has raised, and you'd walk away, wow, he's really a Chovevei Torah person. Kenny, the truth is, he was all of this. He really was very broad. No one would suspect me of being a Chovevei Torah advocate if I spoke about Chovevei Torah. I, my students have some students there. The president, the past president, I, I had some sharp words with them, debated, dialogue, call it what you wish. Zvulun Chalav was multi 
multifaceted in his inner hashkafa. And this is very important with dealing with students. You have to be a, a good Rebbe doesn't want to create students in his image. A good Rebbe wants to inspire students to be the best they can within their own abilities, their own thinking, their own social, mental, philosophical, psychological makeup. And this is something that Reb Zulun Chalap was capable of. Vic, you want to prove that I'm right? His children, various hashkafas among all the children, you're not going to find two that think the same way. Right? It's interesting. I taught two of his daughters. And I, I, I you know, I knew, the, I knew his wife, I knew the family. His, his wife was straighter in Hashkafa than Zvolen. Take my word for it. The boys more flock to the mother and the girls more flock to the father. But Zvolen, there was a certain broadness and that's when you deal with students is critically important. He had that magic touch and Baruch Hashem, you see how many years he was dean of students at Reitz and Everyone who came afterwards, no one has come anywhere near the years that he put in as Dean of Vreet. So it shows you he had that very smart touch. For me, it's a personal loss. I, uh, you know, Zvulin and I, we got along fabulously well. And uh, he appreciated, uh, I live in the past, the present, the future. He could understand me very well. And uh, I remember his daughters, his students, sweethearts, bright, intelligent. Each one was different, but a credit to their father. A credit to their father and to their mother. And we're going to miss him. We're going to miss him. His dedication to the young Israel of Marshall Parkway, beyond words. I'm holding here an article from Jewish Week. A lifetime contract means a lifetime. An article from 2008. And what dedication. Okay. Yehezich Baruch. He's a credit and a role model for anyone listening. Uh, I want to mention that people heard me ask whether Rabbi Dov Elyach is alive and kicking. I'm happy to tell you that Rabbi Dov Yagach, who we referred to in the Monday class and the books that he's written, 100% alive and kicking, and just came out with a new volume on the Chafetz Chaim. I'm showing it. The, the picture of the Chafetz Chaim is now the only real picture we have of the Chafetz Chaim. You're aware that the one that we grew up on People claim it's the butcher of Rotten, not the Chafetz Chaim. And this movie that surfaced is the Chafetz Chaim 100%. There is a story circulating which unfortunately I believe is true, and it's indicative of what we'll come to, if not today, next week in this class, that there's a movie of Rav Shimon Shkup giving sheer in Yeshiva Shabbos Kolchanan, 
1928-29. That's the year he was here at the yeshiva. He wanted to remain. He was in love with what was happening at what is YU today. And unfortunately, the Chafetz Chaim and Reb Chaim Oysa ordered him back. I can't say unfortunately. It was to keep the Gradni Yeshiva going. I'll, I'll, I'm writing about it. I wrote about it in what I'm working on Rabbi Dulkin today. But uh, that movie is not being released because it's owned by people who are great followers of rewriting Torah history and they don't want the world to know that Reb Shimon Shkup actually was here. They hope that no one sees a book by a guy named Rothkopf uh, where there's a picture of Reb Shimon sitting in front of the yeshiva in 1929. At the Chag Hasmicha wrote a dedication. I have to look at my own writings. I don't remember it all. What a dedication of the yeshiva and there's Reb Shimon. Okay. Now, one more word. I apologize for last Monday. I felt very, very bad, and I'll explain why. Uh, the Zoom, we're living in a new world. Why you hired Yomo to assist me? I appreciate Yomo, I appreciate why you. Unknown to us, they were doing work in the building on Monday, and they cut off the internet, and the last 20 minutes, the Zoom went dead. What troubles me is that people stay up all night. There are people on the screen in America who are up all night to hear this year. And I apologize. I know you had to pick it up afterwards on YU Torah. We pleaded with the big authorities here, don't construct between Monday and Tuesday, Sunday, Monday at 9 to 11. Let's hope that they listen to us. All right. Now... We mentioned last week uh, Professor Albright, William Albright of Baltimore. Everything I said was correct, and I'll add to it. Jack Levenstein, who learned in Ney Israel in Toronto, so they said over from Ney Israel in Baltimore that the young men used to go to Professor Albright once a week to speak with him and learning. Professor Albright was a non-Jew, an Ohev Yisrael, uh, a, a real chassid, honored by the state of Israel, the first non-Jew to be honored. And uh, he was Bucky and Shas. So Jack said to me, the word went out that he said to the boys from their Yisrael, all right, you ask me good questions, I can answer, I can help you, I can explain. But he says, you have one advantage over me. I know Shas Torah as scholarship. It was Professor Johns Hopkins, great archaeologist, proved many accounts in the Bible were correct with archaeological, archaeological findings, but he said, you lived the Torah, you lived the Talmud. And that's the advantage you have. And that's exactly what I said, that in order to paskin a shaila, you have to be a Torah Jew who observes. Someone who's a Mahalo Shabbos, an Eichlein, a Velet, and Treifat, he can have all the knowledge in the world, but I wouldn't go to him to paskin a shaila, lachat kama someone who's a non-Jew. Now, Jack's wife, Etty, who's a Rosenzweig, that's a big rabbinic yichis, as you know, uh, she asked me a question. 
Reb Menashe Klein, how do you how do you become known? A posek who's known? Everyone heard of Reb Meisha. Everyone heard of Reb Ovadja. But outside of the individuals who wander into my class or hear the tapes, who ever heard of Reb Menashe Klein? So I have to tell you, in the mid seventies. The New York Times, by the 70s already, Torah was coming of age. When Rabbi Ephraim Sturm was growing up, Shire, no one cared about Orthodox rabbis. The New York Times, reform, maybe conservative, Orthodox, a vintage of the past. By the 70s, the world started to change. And New York Times had two major articles, one on the Rav, I cited in my work on the Rav, and one on Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Uh, I actually, a book came out by Chaim, by, by my friend, uh, uh, my chaver, my uh, Rabbi Chaim Dolphin of Chabad, he put out a book, Rabbi Moshe and the Rebbe. So I haven't read it yet, but, but it's on my pile to be read next. I, I'm sure he cites the New York Times article. The New York Times interview, you know what they asked Rabbi Moshe? How did you become a famous Kosek? The exact question that Eti asked. And uh, uh, it's very simple. Rav Meisha answers beautifully. He says, no one appoints, you come back as soon as you can. No one, no one appoints you. Okay, no one appoints you and, and no one can elect you. But he said, you write Shuvat and people like what you say. People feel you're authoritative. So you get more questions and more questions. And that's how you become a posek. There's no question the answer is a lot deeper than that. It depends on your approach. Uh, those of you that heard my lectures over the generations see the Sephardic authors, Rabbi Vaji Yosef knew more than the computer. In my time in the 70s, they did a contest between him and a computer on sources on a woman, a married woman covering her hair. Rabbi had more sources than the computer. So that's a Sephardic approach. The uh, Ungarische also, Menimchat Yitzchak, others, they show great Bikiyot. When you come to the Litvisha, they barely deal with Achronim. Only those that rose to such prominence that you can't ignore them. And Mark, the two examples are the Nodabi Yehuda and the Chatam Saifa. And you see, in our world today, all right, many people write Shuvat. Some people, they build up a following, and that puts them on the map. And it's not so simple. When I learned in Lakewood, Mark, I want you to know, they weren't overly impressed with Rav Meishu. I can tell you what was said. Again, you have to know Yiddish to appreciate where I come from. Yassi Reb Meisha Matitzik. Do you know what I just said? You know Yiddish or you're a guy? Which is it? A Q Garden Hills guy of Ashtenkish Tavot in Yiddish. We can sign. Shaya. Matia. Lahatia. In Yiddish, Matitzik means you're tired, you're weary. Reb Meisha Matitzich. With all the satirim, he's weary, he's worthless. That was what I heard in Lakewood with these two ears. Uh, but 
Reb Moshe rose above it, and he became very well-known. When you talk about Reb Menashe Klein, the Mishnah Halachat, I want you to know, when I met Lakewood Talmidim, who were my Talmidim already, and became friendly with them 20, 30 years ago, so whenever I would quote Reb Menashe Klein, they would say to me, in Lakewood, they call it Svarim Mishana Halachat. Not Mishnah Halachat, but Mishana Halachat. <coughs> so, Rabbi Menashe Klein, much more limited, not that well known. Also, I have to say, if you've heard my shurim, there's a lot of Hasidus in him. He can tell a Hasidic story, he tells about a Rebbe. All right, not everyone is willing to listen to this. Uh, you got to be Hasidically broad-minded to appreciate Epis from the Rebbe at Seltibbe, he tells, he talks, describes, all right, a Rebbe. Depends who. The Ragatshev is one story, but someone who's not on the Ragatshev's level, the story's not overwhelming. But I want to tell you, you'll see today, and uh, in our world, what was interesting about Rabbi Asher Klein, he's open to everyone. He was very good friends with Dove Frimmer, for instance, a YU graduate, someone here, Talmud Chacham, a lawyer, a rabbinic lawyer. I, I know Dov and I think very highly of him. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful family. There were three sisters and uh, Nebuch, uh, I don't think, n- n- not one of them is alive and I knew all their husbands and taught uh, nephews and, and children and, uh, and and they're all here in Aliyah. Wonderful family from the Chicago, St. Louis, etc. And uh, and and and, and Klein answered questions from Satra, from Lakewood, from Tells, from Gare, uh, from YU. So there's a certain broadness there. On the other hand, in certain issues, he is so off the path that people tend to dismiss him. And a guy named Brakefet was trying to explain to you. I I I, I think I hit the nail on the head. In order to understand Reb Menashe Klein, you have to know the Holocaust, Eli Wazel, what they went through. Eli Wazel was not the same Vishnitzachasid that he was in his youth. What they went through, God have mercy, what we're going through. Go and explain to someone what it's like to have between my brother and myself. I don't want to mention we have uh, on. Uh, three minyanim worth of grandsons at the front lines. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? You can't judge. On the other hand, what he went through with his first wife, with his son, and there I have direct contact. It it scars you. It scars you 100%. Uh, I I have to say, uh, people, uh, my own students tell me off that I boast that I grew up on the lap of Meir Kahana. Okay, tell me off from today to tomorrow, but if mayor would be running in the next election, I'd be voting for mayor. And there, are, there are reasons why, what I have gone through here, what I have seen with, with Sharon, with, 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 with Barak. You know who Barak is. I explained to you his connection to Lakewood. Okay, we're, we're a product of our environment. But I want to say one thing to you which no one can deny. Uh, Shia, where do you live? Well, it doesn't affect with me. Who here is from Brooklyn? Uh, I, I, ah, we have Brooklyn people. 
Tell me, Max, you carry on Shabbos in Brooklyn where there's an Erev? Flatbush. I, I don't, but I think other people who want to, they, they could and they shouldn't be looked down upon. One second, one second. You don't carry. I would not carry, no. And your wife, do you let her wheel a baby carriage? If she wants to, she can do whatever she wants. Uh, so, <laughs> I Mark, I think you will agree with me now. On the, This is not a... This is, Rabbi Max Rabbit, this is a hush of a guy, a cipher. He writes all the smichat for you today. Pretty soon he'll be giving the smichat. I love him. But he has to thank Rabbi Nasha Klein. You got it? You got to give Rabbi Nasha Klein credit. That, and you heard my lectures. I spent two years on a Reuven. That's why I first met Rabbi Nasha Klein. He stood up to Rabbi Misha. And Rabbi Misha, I mean... You got that with the machlokes for Shem Shemayim. You're dealing here with Gedolei Yisrael, but Reb Menashe Klein, all the chetayim on a Reuven in big cities, without Reb Menashe Klein, it doesn't get off the floor. And is he solid? I would absolutely. You can argue, you can disagree, you can follow the Mishkanot Yaakov. He quotes the Chatam Seifer, Reb Menashe Klein. Where Talmud of the Seifer felt uh, awkward about relying on a fiction. The wire in the air, creating a doorpost, etc. Legal fiction. Chatam Seifer closes Talmud. If you don't rely upon this, you're an apikairis. This is the halacha. This is Dore Dore did. And Rabbi Menashe Klein, you have to give credit. And you've got to remember, Kenny, there was an Erev in Warsaw. There was an Erev in Ludge. These cities are no different than Brooklyn, no different than Forest Hills, Kew Garden Hills, Queens, etc. And I quote to you a guy named Rothkopf. In the 1960s, when I was teaching, and then I was really teaching, today I'm entertaining, Baruch Hashem. But uh, no, no, I know what I'm saying. In the, in the, when I was teaching high school kids, I, the closest students I have are the kids I taught in the 60s. Before the storm, it's like a million years ago, but Sukkis, I was I was in this hotel, that hotel, the environment, we were eating here, there. So all students out of the 60s. So I had a very... So that's when the Erev, Reb Moshe was Mata the Erev first in Muncie and then in Kew Gardens Hills. Remember this? And I said then... If there's an Erev in Kew Gardens Hills, Muncie is off the beaten path. Kew Gardens Hills, I said, there will not be a community left in America without an Erev. I said that in the 60s. And can I not, you know today, when you see advertisements in Jewish action, come to this community, housing is cheap, we're giving you, some communities give you $20,000, they're towards a mortgage, you, you come, if you remain 10 years in the community, you don't have to pay it back, it's a gift. We have a pizza shop, a, no, no, notice the pizza shop comes first, a mikvah, a day school, an Arab. You can't attract anyone without an Arab. So I, that's Rip Menashe Klein. All right, now I want to pick up where I left off. And uh, this part of the tshuva is shocking. When Rip Menashe Klein reaches the conclusion, quoting the Gemara, I showed you the sources, if, if Mark sees someone do a sin, 
See, so Shabbos. And he goes to the Beit and to testify they're going to give him Malkut, not the Mechalos Shabbos. Because you had no right to testify. Eidot of one person. And, and here when a kid comes and uh, saved, I was you the colleges, they couldn't believe the kid. Where's the Eidot? Well, I need not tell you if we go with this approach uh, it's, it's not the way we have to live today. I'm, I'll come to it later. But this is Rebbe Menashe Klein. This is Rebbe Menashe Klein. And then he says something, which is true, that many times he says he's had cases where the whole story was absolutely not true. Kid is mad at a teacher. Husband and wife are fighting. Kids become pawns. And I need not tell you, it's not just teaching and students have some students, they're on their, their third marriage already. No, if they were widowed, it's one thing. Some of them, it's divorce, divorce. And I got to remember where they're at today, not to be embarrassed. My daughter, from her experience as the first toilet in history, I hear stories. No, they use the kids at pawns. The kids lie. The kids take sides. How, how, how can you believe them? And he says, mikrim ka'elu. And uh, he goes into detail. And I, I, I live this. I, I, I can't mention names, obviously. No one, no one's alive. I had a student pick me up, a Talmud of Rabban Soloveitchik. And he, he was on the coast, must be 30 years ago already. Became very close to me. And uh, suddenly his wife throws him out. And uh, she accuses him of assaulting his daughter. And the judge, when the judge heard the testimony evidence, the judge got hysterical and said, don't you dare bring this up in my court unless you have proof. And the judge said just what Rabbi Menashe Klein is saying, that I've had so many cases of fighting between husband and wife. This is a false accusation. It's being done to gain in the final divorce proceedings. So there's a lot of truth to this and this is why nowadays we have to have experts. This is, I give credit to the Israeli system. Nothing is perfect. But they have social workers who specialize in sexual problems. You have psychologists who specialize. I told you more than once, you have in the police department not just a whole section of experts, but women with shaitels, the B'nai Brak, what they call Tipus B'nai Brak, women with shaitels, experts in these problems. And nowadays, 
It's not a question of Mesir and the state of Israel. It's a question at times of Pikuach Nefesh. You have whom to go to. And part of the expertise, they will decide whether or not this is true. And they have their methods. I remember there was a big article in in the freebie in Yisrael Hayom interviewing some of these Haredit women. And it was very fascinating to hear the stories they tell. But you have to be very, very careful. This is Dinei Nefashat. In Israel, we don't have a problem. This is the way he has to reveal, leave scars for the rest of a person's life. And here I'll tell you something that unfortunately tortures me until today. From my work for the Mossad and my involvement with Russian Jewry, I met some very wonderful people. One of them was a very prominent medical doctor. Everything I'm saying, by the way, was written up. I would never mention this publicly. It was not a seven, eight-page article, New York Times a few years ago with names. I'm not mentioning any names, but I suffer. This, my dear friend, no longer alive, this medical doctor, world famous in his field, he had relatives in Russia. And because he was a medical doctor, he could go into conferences there, medical conferences, and see his relatives deliver material. We became very close. He was raised in America, a home semi-traditional. Later in life, he became a Shoma Shabbat, sent his kids to a day school, and for them to make up what they were lacking, he asked Rabbi Riskin to recommend a tutor. And this tutor became part of the family. He would come over Friday nights, stay over Shabbat. And uh, the youngest child, he uh, used the word statutory rape, a girl of 13, 14. Statutory rape, week after week. It was just terrible. She confided in her sister, two years older than her. Sister later was my student, a dear student, a wonderful student. She married Shabbat a thousand percent. And uh, that student is today the head of the Orthodox lesbians, Hashem Yerachim. When she married another woman, the New York Times had it as wedding of the week. Two religious Jewish girls married. And it's many decades ago. I got the most difficult Shiloh mark I ever got in my life from the parents. Aaron, can we go to the wedding? I said, it's no way I can answer that question. They went to the wedding. They said, we want to keep a relationship. I think they did the right thing. We want to keep a relationship with her. It's 
30 years later now, the girl who was raped, she gave up Yiddishkeit. First marriage was with a guy, second marriage I think is some sort of Jew, I don't even know. And I loved the family, I loved these children. She was very close to my own, they were very close to my own children. But you see, you're dealing here with Dinei Nefashat. And you can't, a child makes a complaint, a child an accusation, a student, you must act on it. And it has to be given over, not to a Beitin, not to Rabbanim, experts in the field. And they have to guide us. Ay, are they right or wrong? If you're an expert, it's like a medical doctor. Is he right or wrong? Baruch Hashem, I'm alive, kicking, and I'm no youngster. Don't say the doctors were always right. They can't always be right. They struggle with medical issues, medicine. It's not a cold. The cold is a simple matter. Yes, he goes to a doctor. Doctor says, I can give you medicine. You'll get over the cold in one week or if without medicine, seven days. You follow? It's, it's, uh, they're, they're delicate issues. My wife and I are much older. We, I, we struggle. We struggle. But I'll say this much. If they're experts, they're right 90% of the time. And this is, has to be the solution nowadays. And uh, as far as, and I'm quoting with Manasha Klein here, as far as people said to him, the psychologist who asked this question, I have to report, I have to go to the police, I'm required by law. So Rabbi Manasha Klein says, Chas v'chalila. You go to the police, you're a miser. Worse than that, see, and you can understand why people are upset with the Menashe Klein. He says, you may have a din of a rodef. That you're going and squealing on someone. And Rabbi Menashe Klein spells it out. If you're a rodef, he has a right to kill you. The guy can pull a gun on you, and that's it. Walk away. Ad Kedei Kach. Now, then he touches upon a question that uh, haunts why you until today. He says, what happens if you do find someone, a maneuver, and uh, it's true. You find out it's true. And what do you do? You fire the person. You fire the person. But he'll go elsewhere. Okay. 
right, this is quite a few sentences. Do you understand the implications? First of all, if someone is a sex deviant, I'm not an expert, but life has taught me when you're a sex deviant once, you'll be a sex deviant twice, thrice. It's something within you that you may not be able to control even. God have mercy if you keep quiet. It's going to show up everywhere else. And that's the story I told you. With I, I, I've done a few mitzvot in my life. And one of the mitzvot was uh, a well-known sex deviant who lost his job in America, a YU grad. And it breaks my heart because I've listened to tapes of the Rav where the Rav turns to... Imagine I'm sitting in the Rav shed in fifty in the 50s. The Rav would say to me, Arnold! No, good that I say good. Do you agree? Never happened. He didn't even turn to Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein. The Rav sat here, Rabbi Aaron sat here, I sat here. Never even turned to Aaron. Imagine turned, Aaron, good No. I hear the Rav in the seventies turning to this guy. I don't want to mention his name. Well, everyone knows the name. No. Do you agree with me? In English. Then it was English. Do you agree with me? No, and, and this guy lost his job, kicked out, and they want to hire him in Australia. And I told my dear friend Svi Groner, I said, call your uncle immediately and tell him who this guy is. And then he wound up getting arrested and he was in jail and uh, it breaks the heart. But this is an illness. Can you help it? I don't know. But you have to be under supervision. You have to be watched. And you have to announce, because the guy can leave one school, and it's a big America and a big world, and he winds up. There were cases, they came to Israel, the biggest minuvalim. Long beards, white and black clothes, fit right in, and it turns out, wow. And some were extradited, actually. But this was the problem, why you? And and, and I, I told you, I... I my own thinking 50 years ago was, you never, what, talk, yell, shout. Told you the story with Mahon Gold. That uh, this teacher is no longer alive. He was a character, a, a YU grad who made believe he never went to YU. I had many arguments with him. But 71, this has to be 72. A, a young lady comes over to me and tears. He made a lewd comment to her. And she was shattered. Imagine you're an 18-year-old young girl. It was a new program at the time, your gimel. And, and a rabbi who you look up to, a spiritual leader, makes a lewd comment. So I helped her. We became, she was makira tovit to me to this day. You have no idea how much her family contributed to Shvatami and Mayana over the years. But I want to ask you a question. Why didn't I go to the dean? I should have gone to Gabi Cohen and said, Gabi, if you don't fire that maneuver, I'm walking. We never thought of that, you know, like with damage control. But you didn't go beyond. And why you had incidents where they didn't go public.
The Rav was criticized. I know what the Rav said. The Rav said you cannot teach uh, boys anymore. I know what the Rav said. And, and he went, he, all right, I don't want to go further. He went in Aliyah, and he did other things. He didn't teach boys. I will admit he did good things here. But it's delicate. There was another incident in YU. Again, he was hired uh, down south. No one knew. Now, I did my own, I have to tell you, I did my own, I told you this many times. I did my own investigation. I have contacts. And I concluded one of the two people involved was guilty. I found out already in Shoma Haddati, they knew he had homosexual tendencies. Lower Lainu. The other person was poor judgment. But from what I can gather, there was no evil intention. So when I told this to Richard Joel, who's going to be my neighbor very shortly, he just, uh, I, met, I met his uh, brother-in-law on Shabbos, came over to me, he was davening the same minion on my, my children's minion, I, I was davening there. So, he, so when I told my conclusions to Richard Joel, he said to me, you could have saved me five million dollars. He said, your conclusions are exactly what the Blue Ribbon Committee concluded. I said, Richard, let's be honest. You're going to tell the world. Rabbi Rekefit concluded. Big deal. A Blue Ribbon Commission of people like Yossi, PhDs in psychology, learned it, knowledgeable. Oh, they reached the conclusion that counts. But you see, even Rav Menashe Klein starts to understand how important this problem is. And you can't, you can't hide, you can't look away. Flatbush had a tremendous scandal, the Shiva Torah to Mimim. And I know people who swore to me that every word is true. And, and how do you have people? Again, I'm naive. I can't understand how a Jew can be Mechalel Shabbos, how a Jew can eat treif. I'm suffering. A, a dear student, I told you, gave me a gift, uh, two, two gifts. One gift, the most expensive gift anyone ever gave me, the, the whole Shasan I have with English at the Shatnaspin. I'm getting no way, Mark, I'm learning Chalik now. And I'm trying to see whether there are good secrets revealed. So far, absolutely nothing, with all due respect to Schottenstein. And then Rabbi uh, Willig, not Rabbi, Rabbi Reichman, Rabbi Heschel Reichman just came out with uh, the Shrishimat Shayurim on Sanhedrin. He thanks me, among others, because my notes played a role. And Perry Gimlet seems to be the only one who has notes that survived. Okay. Erwin Shapiro had them all copied. It's available on, on the computer. So uh, I, I opened up the Rishima to Yomo, brought it for me the other day, Baruch Hashem, a gift from Ratsi Reichman. He's doing fabulous things. And I turned to Perich Halek. Allah is there. But what I'm looking for, nothing. So you can't win. But uh, there's, no, there's no question. I got that gift. Then I got a box of books. Remember I told you the story, the Svati kid delivering it, calls me, Rabbi, uh, 
רקפת, ארון רקפת, יש לי משלוח בשבילך. אני אברן אינו, that our house has a gate. So I told him, and I made lamata. I go downstairs, a minute later the car pulls up, and the father, the kid with the big kippah, looks at me, says, no, the lobe shulcha, aniya kachetz alamalat hagidli. He wanted to take it up to my apartment, was afraid I couldn't carry. It was five books, the big, heavy. And I, I said, no, no, aniya stadeh klani. He, atabatuach ata, I never saw it, such covered, covered for mitnei seva, takum vadata penei sakei. Anyway, I opened up the box, and one of the books was from my wife only, Kenny, 1,000 pages. A bestseller, and was talking about it. The Jewish, the Jerusalem Post had an article, autobiography of someone named Barbara Streisand. I, Mark and Mark, I've never been so disappointed in my life. Nishta abrekel Yiddishkeit. Oysters, chaza, bacon, ham, nishta abrekel Yiddishkeit. Yes, proud to be a Jew, guilt conscience like all Jews, that's on every other page. Proud to be a Jew, supports Israel, Baruch Hashem. Cultural Judaism, it's a new term you have to use. Cultural, but and her father, a from Jew, couldn't believe what I read about him. True, from Jew. She went to yeshiva the first three years. Father died, mother remarried, threw away Kala and this is the autobiography. It's hard for me to understand, but uh, all right, I was fortunate. At the age of 11, I met Talmidim of Rabbi Yeruchim Levavitz, the Shanghai crowd. But how people are like this, but it's explained to me that this is illness. Part of it is physical, mental, psychological illness. It's like someone is oversexed. They're missexed. I'll use a word I just made up. But... God have mercy. What you can do to young children? Destroy them. So Rabbi Nasha Klein, at least this much he understands, very difficult to let this person, if you really know he's guilty, so Chagam Shev Shali Shalchomi Beit HaSefa Avol Chasva Chalila L'Mosro to turn him over to the police, to lock him up, to put him in jail. Now, I want to show you one more source here. This is what he quotes. And this is an interesting source which has unlimited implications the Israeli scene now what we struggle with here Chayshin Mishpat Chafvav Sifkatan Aleph and you see Asul Adon Bifnei Dayanai Akum Be'akarat Shalachem Afilu Bedin Shadanim Bedin Yisrael 
ואפילו נצרצו בית בעלבטים בפניהם, וכל הדון לדין בפניהם הרי זה רשע, כאילו חירף וגידף וחרים יד בתורת משה לבנים. לפניהם ולא לפני בתי-דינים של עכו"ם. But look, we agree, we want to go to a secular court. We're not fighting, we'll accept what they say. Stini mamonet. We're not dealing here with Isa Vecheta. But there's a whole question of respect for Torah. And Rabbi Nasser Klein takes the point of view, and I'll show you the Raman a second, that the minute you become a Moshe, the minute you get involved with secular authorities, it's abrogating, negating, denigrating Torah Hashem to Mima. All right. I can understand him. If you have Batei Dinim, give respect to the Batei Dinim. Are all courts honest? No. In the United States of America, no one in Israel knows this. The Supreme Court is entirely picked by the politicians. The president, the approval by the, what's it, the Senate or the House of the Senate has to approve. Entirely, entirely. Local, you have in New York, People are elected judges. People elected Supreme Court of New York election. Are, are they geniuses? Totally honest. Every judge is influenced by his own thinking. Look what FDR accomplished. But nevertheless, this is the whole concept of mishpatim. Uh, we're obligated to have they dinim in every community. It could be that this is also part of the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach, where only human beings, okay, it's the best we can do. But they didn't, are all the but they didn't modest? I've heard stories about certain but they didn't in the New York area that, that you can buy a het the mayor abundant from them with all that that implies. And I know actual stories. I, I actually met a woman. I, I, I've met so many people in my life on the West Coast. She was involved in a home. She was married and uh, her husband walked out on her and mistreated her. And he bought off the bait and got a het the mayor abundant. It's quite a case. Reb Moshe signed, others signed. Then when they found out more details, they denied their, you know, removed their signature. But it was too late. And I met this lady uh, in Los Angeles. Totally, they said she was not normal. Totally normal. Totally with it. It was a bitter battle between a husband and wife. And uh, as Rakefer has said, when, when he is elected to the Sanhedrin, the first takana that he will innovate is that once a couple has children, they cannot get divorced until the youngest child turns 70. That's a takana for the good of the next generation. I, Mark, you might say that better get divorced, place a, you're right. There are few that will suffer, 
but 90% will prosper. Not like what I have seen in life when people get divorced, what the kids suffer. So, all right, you have to have what they did and you have to have what they mishpat. Don't tell me this is corrupt. That's part of life. But 90% is good. We have a chief rabbi who went to jail. Am I right or wrong? Without mentioning a name, only to tell you he's married to my student. And that his aunt and uncle are my next door neighbors for 54 years that I live in Israel. I would meet them every Friday night at their aunt and uncle, like their teacher, his wife. Oh, all right. Doesn't mean the whole rabbit is corrupt. But you have to, but see here, there's a delicate question. If you go to the secular court, it's like saying Torah cannot answer my questions. And that's the halacha, black and white. The state of Israel, this opens up Pandora's box. Norm, you have an apartment in Israel, you get involved uh, with the builder and the problem with the neighbors. Do you go to a Beitin or do you go to a Beit Mishpat? You follow? And, and, and if you don't go to a Beit Mishpat, the people who are not religious will refuse to be part of it. You go to a Beit Mishpat, but there's a Beitin. And today the law is that Knesset changed it. If, if the two parties agree to go to the Beitin, it, whatever they decide in Chayshin Mishpat is enforceable. It's, it's accepted. It's no different than a compromise, a birur, a pshara, a bitsua, as we say in rabbinic Hebrew. Uh, it's a very delicate question. Are you allowed to be a lawyer in secular court? Are you allowed to be a judge? You know how much has been written on this topic? You could fill an entire wall here with svarim. But let me put it this way. On these type of questions that we're dealing with here, you have to go to the police, their division, with the experts, with the social workers, with the psychologists. You don't have to go here to Beit Mishpat, to Beitin. It can be handled very beautifully by those that are trained and equipped and authorized to handle it. Now, Rabbi Nasha Klein quotes this. In America, okay, I understand. He holds its material. And then you look at the uh, Ramah. The Ramah says anyone who goes to a secular court, anyone who helps them go to a secular court, we should put in Nidui and Cherem. The Yesh Biyad Beitin Lenadatan Ulechachrimon. And even if their decision is exactly like you would get in a Beitin, nevertheless you're going Arkaot Shal Akum and you deserve Cherem and Nidui. And let's say someone goes to a secular court and the 
secular court obligates him that even if they agree afterwards, the secular court reached a certain decision. They may have fined the person too little, or they may find the person too much. And then you agree to go to Baton to straighten it out. Could very well be. The Baton doesn't have to listen, doesn't have to accept you. You have disgraced the Torah that you went to the secular court first. And you see, the no kingdom here, it's a very fascinating topic. In Chutzlaretz, there's no question you have this problem endlessly. In Israel, to a certain degree, you can ameliorate it because the Batei Dinim today are equipped and accepted even in Choshen Mishpat. It's not just Eben Ezra that you would go to the basin. You can go and you never have to deal with something that might be anti-Torah. And here I can tell you a personal story that uh, uh, fascinating how it all came about. My eldest daughter was, stu- was teaching at Chorev and studying for a master's at Hebrew University in English literature. And in her building, a big machloket began. It was an old Poli Agudit Yisrael Shikun on Rechov Palmach. Very valuable due to location. Very cheap due to what the structure was. It's now... Many decades later, I understand they're going to be involved in reconstruction. Now, in this building where she lived, one of the many buildings, everyone was religious, and they wanted to expand. And one man, a professor at Hebrew U, totally opposed. His mother was living there. The noise and dirt would be bad for her. And they went to Baton. And uh, the Baton ruled in favor of my daughter and her friends. The young people have a right to expand. They have children. They need more space. And if they want, if the lady really feels the noise and dirt is too much, they can move her away and pay for the rent. Let her be away for the months that the construction will go on. This professor was uh, very upset with the PSAC and they appealed to the chief rabbinical court, the Beitin Gadoli Urim. Mark, you can study Sanhedrin from today to tomorrow, particularly the Sugyan Pechet Bet. You will never find the concept of Beitin Urim. You will find, you remember the Gemara? You go to the Beitin local. If they don't know, they go to the big. Then you reach Yerushalayim, three, but they didn't until you reach the Beitin in the Azara. And whatever they say, if they know, if not, they have to vote. And whatever they say, that's it. One of the early takhanas of the Beitin, of, of the legal system in Israel, this is even before the state of Israel. I think it's, remember we spoke about Chevem de Rabbeinu Geshem and other takonet and women 
receiving women as they did, not So this is one of the early Takanas, I think it goes back to 45. The lot has been written, and they established the Beit and Gadol Urim because every modern legal system has to give you a chance to appeal. And uh, that's why it's called the Beit and Gadol Urim. So it went up to the Beit and Gadol, and once again, they refused uh, this man and Paskin that they have the right to expand and any problem with the dirt and whatever. The woman, you can rent an apartment elsewhere, but she can't stop progress. People have children. People need more room. All right. While this was happening, my daughter saw the whole process and an ad appeared in the newspapers we're beginning a new program for women, Toanot Rabaniyot. And if it, I remember what the ad said. If you're a college graduate and know how to learn a Daf Gemara on your own and are religious, you are invited to join this program. You had to get letters from two rabbis, and uh, that's how my daughter became a Toanot. And she saw the whole experience and she was enthralled by it. And uh, she was the first graduate of this program afterwards. But this is Israel. Here, there's no Messira. It's our health. It's the way the civilization has to live. It's safety of our children. And this is why what Rabbi Menashe says, all right, in Chutzlaretz, but even there, chas v'chalila, that you have a din of a rodeif, that you're in cherem, that you're in nidui, when all is said and done, you're trying to save these children. At the end of the tshuva, he raises the question, what about if you know someone is a murderer? And he actually had the shaila that someone came to him. You know, he, he's been around. He was around a long time. Someone said, I killed another Jew. Don't want anyone to know. And uh, are you allowed to report him? And Rav Anashe Klein said, You have no proof. He's saying, Russia. And what about the Dean of Goel Haddam? All right? Imagine this guy is a murderer, so you don't tell the police, you keep it quiet, but then the brother of the guy he'll kill comes along and kills him, and he says to Rav Menashe Klein, don't tell anyone, but I'm a Goel Haddam. And Rav Menashe Klein, here he gives you sources, it's a whole machlekes achreinim. Why? We were mavatel dalad mitabaitin. There's no Sanhedrin today. Once there's no Sanhedrin, uh, then there's no din of Goel Hadam. But some Akronim hold that there is no din of dalad mitabaitin, but the din of Goel Hadam still exists today. So it would turn out that the guy who killed. You can't be miser on him because there's no real aid. And if the girl Haddam kills him, 
You can't be meister on him because he's a goyal hadam. Okay. Now, I want to read to you an email I got from a very important person. June 24th, 2014. For me, from someone named Mark Dratch. And it reads, Dear Ravra Kefet, I appreciate your enthusiasm for the Mishnah Halachat. However, the entrenched Chuvah of his has had a major negative impact upon me. And it's signed Mark, and we're referring to someone named Mark Dratch. Kenny, do you know him? He's sitting right over there. Wave to each other. He also is a BMT boy. You think you're the only one here, Norm? That's the, the BMT boys. And Mark sent me a chiva. You know what chiva sent me? An example of Reb Menashe Klein and why he's so upset? This exact chiva. The one we've dealt with for the last four weeks or so. Mark, what do you say? We're in the same boat. I mean, I can't, I can't uh, argue with you. But you have to understand where he's coming from. But you see what's frightening about this, and this is where Bernard Revel Gratcher School comes in, because it's not just a halakhic shifa. It reflects the period. Did you ever dream we'd have teachers who would sexually abuse their students, whether they be boys or girls? Did you ever dream what went on in Australia with Malkalifo, with Israel, with, 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 with Agudat Yisrael here and, and, and the Chavek Neset who covered for her? Could you ever dream this could happen? We were so innocent and, and so believing. I mean, the Rav, just the Sydney of the Rav, if you heard one yard side pressure from the Rav, it was like going to 20 mikvot, Okay? It, it, you just walked away. I, re, I told the class, I remember on the, the outside rush, we got on the bus 12 o'clock at night, and I was riding back with a Rabbi Fuchs from the Bronx, whose son I later taught, Moshe Fuchs. Or maybe it was the year I was teaching his son. And on the bus, and he was a European, and I'm an Americana, third generation, and he's a European. And we said it was like Maimed HaSinai. We walked away. You couldn't sin if you wanted to. The purity, the beauty, the dedication. But it's sad. But that's life. It's, it's unfortunately a reality. And we have to deal with it. And the case I suffered with, with the daughter of my dear friend, all his life he would say, that animal belongs in jail. And then he got away. I don't know if you're aware of the story that they had a warrant out for his arrest. It's before we had direct communication. It was going to reach Ludd the next day before emails and someone tipped him off. And that night he got out of Israel on his American passport. Then he winds up in America and he's no longer Jewish. He's a, he's a spiritual leader for the world. And he wrote a, I, I, he, God, I, I, and a reformed female rabbi gave him Haskamah to his book. I can't repeat what he wrote about. You know, sex can destroy you 
or make you. Without sex, we have no world. On the other hand, sanctity, and, and he winds up and he, remember he was going to be at a conference and someone picked it up and went to the New York Times and they already did investigative reporting. And you should know that Rabbi Saul Berman owes me an apology. I, I love him, he's my classmate. I'm not, but he said to his students, yeah, Rabbi Rakefet is mad at him because he's no longer orthodox. No, that is not be, you want to be a, I can't be mad at Bar she, she loves oysters and chaza. What can I do? Freedom of choice. The Rambam, Hilchat All of our religion is based upon freedom of choice. But I was furious at him for what he did to that family. Tzaddikim, tzaddikim. You should know, four or five of their six children live in Israel. Live in Israel. The rabbi of, uh, there's a Yishuv in Gush Etzion, uh, the one with beat, beatnecks, Dan, Danny Cohn is the rub there, Rav Cohn. That's his son-in-law. That, that's who we're talking about. That's an older sister of these sisters. Well, anyone know the name of the Yishuv? It's in the Gush. It's, uh, it, it has a lot of unbelievably ballet, a tremendous amount of ballet children there. All right, I have the... No, no, no. Not the Vedanil is more solid than the, the Vedanil, Al-Azhar. This is another one. Uh, but to say them, I've got to figure out the name. If not, I'll ask my wife, she'll remember the name. Okay. Adkan this chuva. I want to introduce the next chuva. It's uh, a very fascinating chuva. Wait till I reach the end of it. I'm going to give you information that I may be the last person of the life that can tell you I heard it from someone who was right there in the classroom. Okay. Let me tell you a little story. Uh, I'm in B'nai Akiva, and one of the most influential, wonderful people I ever met was someone named Avraham Silbert, S-I-L-B-E-R-T. He was from Washington, D.C., came to New York to go to yeshiva, studied in Mir, was Meir Kahanis Chavruta, married Shoshana Tolansky. Shoshana Tolansky's father was a Meshulach, we've spoken about in the other class, Meshulachim, who worked for me at Yeshiva, was a European Sherav, and he worked, and a wonderful couple, living in Israel many decades. Avram's built Torah in in Beersheba. He's the one who built the the high school there, which was the first real Torah institution. Today, Beersheba is a city filled with Torah and Yerit Shemaim of all all sorts. Avraham built it. Unfortunately, he died young, 1980. I don't know if he was in his 50s yet. 40s, 40s, perhaps late 40s. His wife should live and be well, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. What a family. Now, before he was married, he's a young man, active in B'nai Kiva, learning in Mir. And 
on the New York subway, he sees this nice-looking girl, nice-looking, you know, in his personal matter, in his mind, look up Rav Meishi's Chiva, what to look for in marriage. I think it's Sadi and Yoridea, first time around. And Marecha, and he strikes up a conversation with her, and he gets her name, and he tells us he's going to find out if she's Shomeret Shabbat and uh, try to date him. And he made the effort. He never could find out. Okay. Didn't matter. He later meets Shoshana in Bnei Akiva and their marriage turns into a golden ex- experience. Tell me, that story I just told you, could it happen today? Just think for a minute. You're on a bus in Israel. Jack, remember the story with my student and your friend from Toronto? You're on a bus in Israel. And you see this nice girl. You want to find out, is she religious? Is she religious? Wait a minute. What kind of clothes is she wearing? How long is her skirt? Skirt goes down to her stockings. Oy vey, she's a new Pana girl. Not for me. I'm a Litvak. Give me a base of girl. The Hashkafa. Hey, wait a minute. She's from Kvar Chabad. Kvar Chabad? Lubavitch? Are they good Jews or not? I'm going to ask Rabbi Shach. Got a thousand questions here. Wait a minute. She goes to Bnei Akiva. I want someone from Ezra. Follow? Today we have so many divisions and subdivisions. When I was growing up, all that mattered was is she a Shomerit Shabbat or not? Everything else was everything else was secondary. Today we're so conscious of our divisions. All right, this is the reality. It shows up in Rav Menashe Klein. I'm ready to introduce you to. Chelek uh, Tetzayin of Mishnah Halachot Siman Samach Aleph Chelek Tetzayin Siman Samach Aleph And what's the shy? Someone from Israel sent him a sefer that he wrote Harab Shimon Hiara, I don't recognize the name. You know, going back, uh, it has to be approximately 40 years, although there's no date. He's writing the tshuva on Lagba Omer. Yom Hilila, the Rab Shimon Bayochai, Sechuta Yageno Leino. 
And the name of the safe is Shalmei Simcha. And uh, he wants to show me one through the safe. And he comments on one interesting question that the Machabe deals with. Besimen Yudbet Don Bebetula Yerat Hashem. Vizminla Menen Shemayim Bachu Yerei Shemayim Vekalmet Chacham. Vahorim Shala Heim Modanim. Umitnagdim la le shidrch ze. The tainatam o shetetrachtrain le filu chom hamadani o shel titlo titatain beklau. Wow. This girl from a modern Orthodox home met a boy. Yirat Shemayim, maybe Haredi, and her parents are hysterical. A boy like that, not for our family. You follow? Put it into your terminology. A YU guy, or a stern college girl met a guy from Lakewood, from one of the Chaburit in Lakewood, the Torah Moshe Chaburah, Mark. And she brings the guy home. And her modern parents, look at the guy. Did you go to college? No. Are you interested in going to college? No. How are you going to make a living? God will provide. Who will support you? God will provide. Now you have a choice, Shia. One guy, and this happened, they say it's a true story, and he comes out after meeting with the Chatan Tabi, and he's all smiles. And his wife says, you idiot, what are you smiling for? He said, never was I called God so many times. <laughs> but uh, you see, this is the reality of where we live. Now, I have to tell you something. I have, I have one problem with this description in, in his Shiloh here. One simple problem. I just read Nemet Viamuna, uh, uh, Rabbi Harry Merrillis from Chicago. He's a Talmud of Rabban Soloveitchik. So I, I occasionally I look at what he's writing about. I enjoy seeing the problems and how he deals with it. But basically, I agree with everything except I'm more of a hawk when it comes to Israel Finally, he found out what I've been saying for decades. They don't want us here all together. It's not a question of compromise. It's a question either we're here or we're gone. We're wiped out. And you know what's going on now. So, uh, but now his eyes opened. Okay, Baruch Hashem. So, uh, Harry Merrill is the last entry. I think it was last Friday. Shidduch crisis. And what's the Shidduch? I can't believe what he wrote. That if you have a wedding and a guy from Haredi world, let's say Lakewood, near Israel, goes over and speaks to a lady, he will never get a shidduch in the Haredi world. He is ruined for life. That he dared speak to a girl at a wedding? Rebani Shalom. The wedding is the best time for boys and girls to meet. Even Rav Breuer, when they went to the right in America, but 
Rabbi <coughs> insisted the young people no mixed seating. No, excuse me, no separate seating. Mixed seating. They should meet. The shidduch crisis we have today, we have in our world too, but for our world there's different reasons. It's very good because the women don't need to get married. In my time, a woman got married to have a husband to support her. Today, I think all my daughters make a better living than their husbands, than their spouses. I think all my daughters, my granddaughters-in-law, professors, Barry Lan, all types of PhDs, Weitzman Research. There'll be two people here tomorrow that look at me with awe because they're Weitzman they were retired and they, they come then they went back learning Torah full time and they checked on my granddaughter her husband is what he's just one degree in robotica alright and the army is a big shot with artillery he's been away three months already what a, what a young Baruch Hashem let me not speak about my grandchildren but in my time women had to get married today the average girl, bachelor's, master's, PhD, MD. I go to my doctors, my dear female students, take care of me. Walked into when I needed a new dermatologist, my previous one retired, I knew one. She says, Rebbe, you saved my life when the year I was in Michlala. I looked at her, I saved her life. Then she explained, then I understood already. It's the year the women. Move to the right, move to the right. Normalcy, normalcy. Don't have to move to the right, we just have to have Torah near at Shemayim. Who needs a husband? She has a wonderful husband, a wonderful family. But this is a factor. Oh, when the girl turns 26, 27, she says, you know something, there's a biological clock ticking. Maybe I want something. Maybe I need a husband. And then she's in competition with, with 21-year-old, 22-year-old, etc., etc. I mean, I don't have to elaborate. Men, to me, my class, we, we had hormones. Oh, getting married, one after another. Today, they're so busy getting advanced degrees. I don't know. They cut out their hormones. They get rid of them. I don't know what they do. But, wow. And then you have a tremendous problem here in Israel. You have no idea how much is being done to try to eradicate the problem. The Haredi world is better off because there your parents lead you by the nose, the chuppah, and Baruch Hashem. We marry the girl we love. The Haredi girl, they, we hope, fall in love with the girl they married. You follow me, Norm? It's a different attitude. The Hasidic world is terrific. I told you in class the Chenske Rebbe, when his wife is pregnant she met another woman. She was pregnant. They made a shidduch. If I have a girl and you have a boy vice versa, they're getting married. And the marriage worked out. Baruch Hashem. And, and see it's it. But, but here take a look at this question. This girl, all right, she met a boy, a Haredi boy. I don't know how she met him. Maybe about Chuva, maybe he spoke to her at a wedding, no one saw. 
Or maybe that's Dafka why he went after a girl from a modern Orthodox home because he was speaking to girls at weddings. I couldn't believe what what uh, what, what Rabbi Merrillus wrote, but he's a he's a, a straight shooter, he's a sharp shooter. You know, if he writes something, he knows what he's writing. I found him to be very honest over the decades, very accurate. And imagine, should the girl get married against her parents' will? Or should she listen to her parents and never marry? Wow. Yiftach HaGiladi. With me, Mark? Unbelievable. Wait till you see what I have at the end. But yes, Rat Hashem. My dear students, first of all, I want to welcome the guests. There are more guests in Israel. I got two ears this morning. I invited them to share. One of them is picking grapefruits. It's uh, Baruch Hashem. The other one is with his daughter in Ranana, so uh, we'll see them, I hope, later this week. Uh, I, wanna, I want you to understand, I want to apologize. I'm very limited in strength. It's age. So I was not at the, f- I can't go to anything in the middle of the day. I was not at the funeral of Rabbi Chalav. I, I must take a nap. I, uh, otherwise I will not survive. And my life sent this around the two Shayra. And I'm writing, I'm doing what I what the Ebishta enables me to do. But I apologize. They want to hold the memorial here for Rabbi Khalab. They asked me this I I can't speak at night. I can't drive at night. I I don't have the energy. I have to live a certain way and recognize my limitations. Uh, so I apologize. I, I wish, uh, but all right, at least I said a few words today in memory of Rabbi Chalap, and I, I hope I did some slight justice, and more justice will be done. Uh, tomorrow, Be'ezrat Hashem, is a very important shia, and I'm coming back to uh, the Nefesh Echayim and tracing it down all the way to today. I'm going to go chronologically out of order, but just speak, stick to the theme. Reb Chaim Velashin's concept of learning Torah and the Hasidic concept. And I'll show you sources all the way down to this very moment. Today, um, we did okay. We did okay. We finished out Reb Menashe Klein. I try to balance out understanding him. Halachalamaisa, I think in Israel we have no problem whatsoever. I trust in America and big cities that they're prepared to handle this and have experts. But I'm very joyful here that a girl in Beit Yaakov or a boy in Chinechatzma'i can turn to people who understand his language. Understand what I'm saying? You have to know the Haredi world have to understand the way they're raised. Needless to say, in our world, which is broader and more open, we also have experts. And here, I don't believe there's any problem of Messira. Okay, the question of families, they're very sensitive here, and they will always try to take a child and put him into a family that, is similar to the religion, the religious level he was raised in. It's not the Ben-Gurion period today. And the more kippot you see gives you a feeling of where we stand today on the Israeli scene. Unfortunately, with the war, 
we have percentage of the population of our boys and girls, it, it doesn't end. It's the latest carbon is from Nachalim, if you know what I'm talking about. Kulam Tzadikim Shem, Kulam Tzadikim, Kulam Kadoshim. But every Jewish boy, those, I don't have to tell you the Chuv of the Chatam Saifa, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, an article by Rakefet on Kadoshe HaShoah, everyone is Kadosh and holy. But we do have a right to say, if we're 50% of, we deserve to have 50% of the important positions in the government and in the army and in every level of activity on the Israeli scene. We're part and parcel and today the heart of the Israeli experience. So I don't think there's any problem here. We introduce the next question and Avram Silbert, he just wanted to know if she's Shomeret Shabbat. Didn't care if she was an Agudis, then a Beit Jacob girl, and a Bnei Akiva girl. Everything else is secondary. We can adjust, we can manage. And I, I end off, I just say further, there was a whole article last weekend on a person I spoke about in class. The Gerich Hussid medical doctor, the article, he graduated with my grandson, Technion Medical School. His wife, when she found, he told her he wants to be a medical doctor. It's a whole a pediatrician. He was a kid, he was ill, and he loved the doctor who took care of him. And he tells his parents, Aniloy, Aniloy, at the age of 20, he started learning English. And his wife said to him, after not sleeping all night, she said to him, Max, I will not stand in the way of your dreams. And today he's the only person in Israel who in one week wears a streimel on Shabbos, a gerach hasid in the full sense. Part of the week he's dressed like a medical doctor. And unfortunately now, part of the week he's dressed like a frontline medical doctor in the army. Big dates for Haganali Israel. So, Baruch uh, Hashem, we've come a long way here. And uh, you can imagine, you can be a base Yaakov girl or a B'nai Akiva girl, you can marry a, a man if you love each other, you can work out a beautiful marriage. Are there any questions? Yomo, where is Yomo? Yomo, open it up to the world. If there are any questions, let us see. Uh, well, by the way, when this young man graduated medical school, the dean at the graduation, my grandson told me, the dean said to him, we are not just proud of you that you graduated with honors, but we are proud of you that you remain the same Gera that you began medical school as a Gera. You're graduating today the Zelda Gerachaset, and that's a very profound statement. Okay, open it up and. Uh, Recording uh, stopped. Yeah, uh, questions. Uh, Rabbi, yeah. Two things. First, I see that um, uh, Saul Berman actually signed a petition against him to, to keep a few years ago. Oh no, he. he no, he wised up. You couldn't hide from what this idiot said. Well, I love the girl. You love a thirteen-year-old girl that gives you permission to rape her. Okay. But he thought, I couldn't get over it. He told students, yeah, Robert Kefford is mad at him. 
because he's not no longer orthodox. You follow me? He was, he, listen, I don't know if you know that person. I knew him inside out. He was very attractive. I once saw him on TV here. I couldn't believe my eyes. He was speaking Judaism and Torah and, and Israel and women were looking at him with their tongues out like, oh, what an individual. He was very attractive. He was like the snake in Pasha Beresha, we'll put it that way. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Just one other thing, Rabbi, uh, what you said about the Chavetz Chaim at the beginning, his picture, um, first of all, I, I think if you look at the video, it's clear it's the same person that's in that famous picture of his, it, it looks like him, uh, but I know this, I, I'll just say this, my, my grandfather did the Chavetz Chaim, and he had that picture, so if, he, if it was good enough for him, <laughs> you know. Okay, I hope you're right, but they said that that was the picture of the butcher. You heard that, right? happy to accept that and say that they're both the same but that other picture I hear what you're saying but you mean the gossip went that all these pictures are not true okay right it's very clear and there's the Chafetz Chaim all his saintliness and his simplicity what a what a video! Halavai, we would have that video of Rav Shimon Shkup. You, you wait till you see my sources in my work on Rav Shmuel Belkin. So I have it right. Beryl Wine spoke about it too. I cite him. All right, Baruch Hashem. I wish, I wish. I, I, this is like the tshuva. Imagine if that guy who has Rav Shimon Shkup's. Uh, imagine if his. Daughter met a YU graduate or a Talmud of Mekhaz Harav. He would commit Harry Carey. But I would, I always told my daughters that all I'm concerned with, tell my granddaughters the same thing, all I'm concerned with is that person should be a Shomerit Mitzvah, a Shomer Mitzvah, Shomerit Mitzvah. Everything else is secondary. But no one listened to me. All my kids are big religious Zionists and all my granddaughters-in-law are Ulpanat graduates so uh, no one listened but Baruch Hashem, I have no complaints okay, any other questions? Jack, you'll convey the answer to uh, your dear wife, to Etty? okay, Baruch Hashem Yoshua Grinstein you got the source the Ebenezer, the Rambam that you asked me about Okay, I mentioned it in class a week ago. Th- I want to thank every. Thank you. Thank you. Th- thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, you got to give a Rebbe. I told you in the, in the return to Zion, the Rav. I'm so glad they didn't edit it. They didn't take out where he goes. That was the Rav I knew where he goes crazy against my good Israel. They let it stand. You have no idea how happy how happy that volume makes me. But there's a story in there where the rub was very upset. He finished the five-hour shear. It has to be a yurtzeit shear. And no one gave him a yashikayach. 
So when they found out he was upset, they sent him gifts. You got to read the story. And he says, I don't know. I said, take back the gifts. Who needs the gifts? He says, but I know you sent me the gifts because they're going to ask the Mizrahi, asked him to speak. So he wanted to be sure, they wanted to be sure he's not mad at them for not giving him a yashikaya. So they said, here, he said, take back the gifts, I'll speak anyway, it's okay. And they sent him, it's a riot, he says, they sent him Shmuel Leib Zah to ask him to speak, because they knew he can't say no to Rav Shmuel Leib. We used to call him the Shalaz, Shmuel Leib Zah, the Rashlaz. We, we, oh we had... Kenny, my days in YU, we had the greatest teachers, the greatest influence. Today in YU, it's a bunch of Americans who think the same way, look the same way, and they, they, they all know baseball in our days was a pleasure. Finally, the, Mark, the Rav did learn baseball. He asked Mo Berlin, you know the story? I, I mean, Mo told these years, heard it from Mo. He asked Mo Berlin between Minchamarv and Maimonides, he says, Meishala, teach me baseball. And Mo sits down with him first by second, there's four balls, three strikes. And when he's finished, Mo says, Rebbe, on Shuldek, excuse me, why does the Rav have to know this? And the Rav says, Moshe, don't you understand? My grandchildren are coming for Shabbos. I have to have something to talk about with them. And Rakefet adds to this story that his grandchildren today, Nebuchadnezzar is not a liar, talking Moshe, Meir, uh, they would deny that they ever looked at baseball. But this is the truth. <laughs> Until we meet again in Chelfet. Vic, I'm happy to see you. Before you go? Well, excuse me? Yeah? Rebbe, before you go, this is Yeshua Grenstein. Just before you go, I just wanted to understand. You sent me an Evan Ezra that says that the Dora Amidbar couldn't come into Israel because of their slave mentality. My article that I sent you was talking about people that named Amiyah. Namely, they're here. They borrowed Hashem on not to go Amidbar. And yet, when they come here, they're treated like second class citizens. Not as real. Yahushua, I refer you again. I, I know what you're saying. I refer you again to the Ramban on this week's Pasha, Hachodesh Hazel Lechem Rosh Chadashim. And uh, I have to be honest with you, I am an Israeli of American origins. I am not a total Israeli. And there are people who come at a later age who are Americans living in Israel. But our children and grandchildren totally integrate. And I have the advantage over all of you that I did basic training, served in the army Miluim for 15 years, worked for the Mossad for 10 years. So you have to admit, I am integrated. On the other hand, let me tell you a good story. If I start telling stories, we'll be here all day. But uh, let me Rebbe, tell you a good... Was exactly that. When you do basic training like you and I, and you're in this country more years of your life than America, and you're still called the American, the second-class citizen... No, well, no one, no one calls me a second-class citizen, but let me just tell you one story that okay. says it all. You know I'm under three... I signed three... I was under three security clauses in my life. One is abolished, the one with Russian jury, the Mossad, I can write about and talk about. 
The other two, the one with my grandson's doctorate when they did in the Technion a display for us of what my grandson invented. Malta and I had to sign a security clause not to reveal it to anyone because it has military implications. The other security clause is the work I did for the three missing in action in Sultan Yaakov 1982. Now, they're very heavy security clause because the Prime Minister and the Minister of Defense and the Chief of Staff all drafted a guy named Darren Rakefet. I was back in the army full-time with a secretary with all the information you can imagine, all the in uh, available to me from both the Mossad and the army. Anyone I wanted to see had to come and be interviewed by me, etc., etc. Now, one of the people that I dealt with was a lieutenant, was a brigadier general, a Tataluf, who was the greatest expert in the army on the battlefield and how to deal with all aspects of a battlefield. And we met many times. We went through aerial uh, movies of Sultan Yaakov and enlarged. And you have no idea what we went through together time after time after time. We became quite close. One time after the serious business was finished, so our, the secretary brought in a drink, a coffee, cake. We had something. We're sitting in schmoozing. And this Israeli guy, Brigadier General, totally irreligious, says to me, Got it, Yoshua? He is looking at me like I'm crazy that I came in Aliyah. So there, at that moment, you have a conflict of this is the total Israeli. Look where his... Randy, I was talking out of that. Out of yeah. Such beautiful stories. I okay, no, I understand what you're saying. But I just want to... And let me end off my wife's first visit to a dentist here in 1969. She came back home crying. I look, what happened? This is Rehov Chalap. And the dentist took care of her, did a good job, and looked at her, are you crazy? Coming in Aliyah? Leaving America? So there's a difference between us. I know America. I'm a third generation. I left America. Baruch Hashem. I'm an Israeli. But I'll always be an Israeli of American origins. His mindset reveals to you some of the songs we hear here. London, Los Angeles. All right? I hope it will change and is changing right now. And if you saw the headlines in the paper, Aliyan Christ from France, 300% over a year ago. 300% applications. America, I think it's only 120% more. Halavai, we reach 10 million Jews here, Bikarov the Yomeno. All right, I want to thank everyone. Uh, I thank you for, first of all, your good words about the Shia, and secondly, tomorrow at 9 a.m., and Be'ezrat Hashem, we should meet again, Rak Bebesorah Tovot, and health and happiness. 
and in honor of Yomo, who is healthy, but thanks to the wonderful level of medicine here, Dasvidanya.